All right. Well, excited to be back. Was out of town most all this week uh, with family. And uh, many of you know about him, and you've been praying for us. I'd like you to continue to pray. We've got so many people to pray for, and uh, well, uh, Emma, um, I haven't heard since I've been gone, kind of everything still about the same. Okay. We're just going to continue to pray for little Emma that we've been praying for, and family's here, but um, if you would, just continue to pray for my son-in-law, Luke. Uh, he's 40 years old, but had a um, heart attack, and then about six hours later had a more severe heart attack and ended up having 10 stents put in, um, and, and they, the doctors there had never heard of that, never heard of 10 stents, but, but it was uh, just a miracle. The first heart attack was mild and got him to the hospital, which uh, he was very wise to go to the hospital when he started having some pain, and so he went, and uh, because he was there for the first one, then they said that was the only reason, really, he lived through the second one. And so uh, um, they were able to get him to the table almost immediately. But pray for them. Joe Beth is back there with him, so I apologize for that. She's still still gone, and uh, but hopefully, Lord willing, everything will go well, and we'll be able to get everybody back um, by this next weekend. So uh, just keep praying for us, if you would, uh, there, and many people in our church that need to be prayed for. And, and so um, uh, just Keep that in mind. Thank you for all for being being out here. Got a great crowd. Middle was trying to pick up here, and man, trying to trying to catch up to the right side. We're gonna we're gonna keep working until we get the middle to win over here. So get to work, middle. Amen. Uh, and I, I know some of you think I'm talking about get to work on the middle, but I uh, I'm uh, I'm already at work on that portion of it. But I uh, really uh, got a. A message is a very simplistic message uh, on assurance this morning, on assurance. The truth is, I think one of the reasons why we are hindered often in taking the next step of growth for God is because we struggle with the foundation. And, uh, and that foundational area is the assurance of salvation. And, and I normally don't just come that direct in, in what I'm talking about, but but uh, but I want to talk about that this morning on assurance of our salvation, and, and I, I hope it'll be a, a blessing. And I need you to you know pray with me. I'm gonna have a word of prayer just to, to begin this. Uh, uh, a little bit the you know a lot of travel, a lot of things been going on, so the mind's a little bit been a little bit cloudy. No excuse, but uh, but I I want I want total clarity when I do this because uh, uh, the worst thing in the world is to come to give you assurance and leave you in confusion, and so uh, we don't want to do that. And so. Uh, but honestly, if we can get assurance, it, it, it gives us that confidence, so to speak, to, to, to take that next step, uh, to, to get involved, get involved in church. Uh, uh, a church like this needs everybody, not just to come, but to be involved. We, we need everybody. And we have a, a very, uh, we have a wonderful church, a wonderful group of church and uh, church people. And, and we need to just, just Get to know each other and get close to each other and bring more in. Uh, if when you leave today, one of the things I've done is if you, uh, when you leave today, if you drop by the table in the back back there, uh, there's several stacks of uh, a new brochure track kind of combination on there of our church, and it's a real colorful thing. It's uh, kind of spring colors, uh, Easter kind of spring color colors, the cross on it. 
uh, has our, the plan of salvation on the back and the directions to our church, a little map on the back and some information and different things. But just take a couple of those and, and take it as a challenge to, to make sure and hand uh, these out to somebody this week. Somebody in the neighborhood, somebody at the store, somebody at the gas station, hand it out to someone. You say, will it do any good? Uh, it was through somebody handing me a Gideon's Bible that I got saved. So uh, uh, you may not see it right there, but, but uh, I'd, I'd love for everybody if you could stop by and pick up a couple of those. And we have many more if we run out back there. Just uh, somebody try to watch it inside my office. There's a box that's got more of them. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started this morning. Father, I pray that you bless. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness, your love, your grace, your mercy to us. Thank you for, uh, Lord, just being so incredibly good to me and my family this week. And, and, and Lord, to, good to so many. And we've had some good reports. And, Lord, in our minds, we've had some not-so-good reports about uh, some of our church family. And, Lord... But, Lord, I know that you're still good, and I know that you're still God, and that you're in control of everything. And so, Father, we will trust you. And, and Lord, I pray that you give additional grace and mercy to those that have that need this morning. And then, Father, I ask you, please, Holy Spirit of God, that you would fill me with your presence and your power. And, Spirit of God, that you give me clarity of mind this morning and strength of body. And, Lord, that I would say and do only what you would have me to do. And Father, you know that, I, that I've asked you this over and over as, I, as, I, as I've read your word, as I've listened to your word, as I've prayed that I need your power and your presence because I can do nothing. And Lord, I pray that you'd please work through us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm trying to move very quickly. We have a, uh, and I'll mention this in the, in the sermon a little bit, but we have a couple of people I think that are going to be baptized this morning, and so we'll take a few minutes extra, and so I'll, I'll try to get done a little bit, a little bit in advance this morning. But assurance, assurance may possibly be the most important word other than the word salvation. You know, salvation, it, it's, we have no hope unless we're saved. Unless you know 100% sure you're going to heaven right now, I mean, you really, uh, we're in trouble. It was the day of my salvation, November 8th, 1975, when I got saved in Memphis State that, that changed everything about my life. It changed everything about my future. But the assurance is so absolutely important also. It, assurance is necessary to a saved life. And I want you to understand what I mean by that. Uh, th there's a book called, uh, a wonderful book called Salvation is More Than Being Saved. I challenge you, you know, to, to get that and read it. But salvation is more than being saved. Yes, a saved life begins to take place when there is true assurance of our salvation. You see, salvation is more than, it's salvaging, the word salvation, salvaging a life. And, and it's not that we, salvation, as far as eternal salvation, means we have a home in heaven. That's wonderful, amen? If you have a home in heaven, and, and honestly, the older you get, the better it looks. Uh, you know, but... But you have a home in heaven, and, and having a perfect body would be incredible. Anybody like to have a perfect body right now? Let me tell you, you want one, because I've had one most all my life. And you want to have a perfect body. It's, <laughs> I'm just kidding, folks. Somebody looking like, that is a perfect body? <laughs> uh, it, it was. Uh, so, now... But the fact is, you, you want to have that. You want to, no more health problems. There'll be no more heart attacks. Amen. There'll be no more cancer. And that's something incredible. 
But God says that that salvation is an opportunity now to have a saved life, a salvaged life. You know, there's a lot of people that are saved right now they are on drugs. You say, can they really be saved and on drugs? Yes, I believe so. Okay, there's a lot of people saved right now and they're, they're addicted and their life is being destroyed. There's a lot of people that are saved right now and right at this moment, they're in absolute warfare conflict in their home. At this moment, when it could be in church, and I'm not condemning them, I understand there's a lot of things that happen in people's life in the direction of their life, but right now their life is not being salvaged, it's being destroyed. How many... And I don't want you to really raise your hand, but, you know, it's more of an invitation kind of thing. But how many have ever struggled with your salvation? I mean, since you trusted Christ, the moment you trusted Christ, have you struggled at some point thinking, I'm not sure if I really am saved? Has it ever happened? Now, the truth is, some of you are saying yes, and that's because it happens. I meet a few people every once in a while that just say, man, from the moment I got saved, no more doubt. I think you made that statement. He, he said, moment I got saved, I, got, I had no more doubt. There's fewer of those than there are of us. You say, is that possible? Yes, and I'm going to tell you, I think it's a little bit in your, this sounds terrible, but it's a little bit in your personality, your, 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 your emotional, mental makeup is a little bit there. Because there's, there's some that, that, that they're, not, they don't, they're not that way. I, I know I went almost five years with no assurance of my salvation. I got saved in 1975, but really it was, it was all the way until uh, around 1980 that I started to get assurance and really didn't get full assurance in 1982. And so seven years, can I tell you, in that seven years, you are struggling in every other area of your life. Until you have that solid in you. I, I, I was a youth director at a church out in Cairoville, Tennessee, and, and I, I would go to the kids. I was a police officer, and then I was a youth director, and, and I would go, and I would take them and try to encourage them to go soul winning. I would bring people. I got, I got guys that worked with me at the police department to come to church to get saved. I got uh, teenagers led to Christ through reading them a track, and the whole time I would tell my wife sometime, I would say to her, this is weird, but I would say to her, I cannot get assurance of my salvation, but I know others can. So what I'm trying to give them is what I cannot have. Isn't that weird? I'm trying to give because I know it brought peace in guys like your heart. And you got saved and you were happy. You were weird. <laughs> and he was just happy about being saved. And I said, you know what? It's good. Even if I can't have it, I know it'll be good for you. So that was what I was doing for about seven years. I'm just trying to give them something. I just figured it ain't going to happen for me until I found the truth. Amen. Has there ever been a time that you began to doubt? Has there ever been a time when you thought you might be lost after you thought you were saved? Now, I understand there's a couple reasons why that can happen. One, you may be lost. You say, well, that didn't help me any. But they had to, we had to face the reality. If you think, that, you know, well, okay, but I, I just, I have doubts about my salvation. And I say to you, well, do you know for sure if you're saved? You say, well, I, I just, I've always gone to church. Well, I, I've always been saved. 
Remember, Jesus said, you must be born again. You remember he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And poor Nicodemus, you mean I got to go back in my mother's womb and be born again? How do I got to do that? He said, don't you understand? We're talking spiritually. You got to be spiritually. You're born of the flesh. Now you got to be born of the spirit. And can I tell you, you had a fleshly, physical birthday. That means you ought to have a spiritual birthday. You say, but I don't remember an exact day. I don't mean the exact day. Listen to me. I wouldn't know November 8, 1975, except years later, I found a little Gideon's Bible in the back of it. I had signed it and put the date in there. But watch this. I remember the night. I remember the place. I remember the dorm room. I remember everything that went on that night like it was implanted in my mental makeup, my spiritual makeup. It was there. You know, I've I've played ball games and probably played way too much ball in my life, but I played a lot of ball games with people with two distinct personalities. And I, I call them a winner's attitude and a loser's attitude. You see, the winner's attitude, it doesn't make any difference. If we got two minutes left to go in the game and we're down by two touchdowns, he still believes he's going to win. You you understand? Anybody old enough to remember Joe Montana? You know, he's got like 50-something seconds left. They're on their own. 20-yard line, and he just gathers the guys together and say, okay, fellas, we're going to do this, 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 and we're going to score. And they went down in, in 50 seconds or so, and they scored and won the Super Bowl. You know, that's a winner's attitude. I, I used to say it only happened the first couple of years because I started getting older, but, you know, when I, I first started playing with the Sailor Ministry, we'd get four teams, I'd find the weakest team, and I would go play with them that night. And I could say for the first two years, I played 16 games, and I never played for a team that was winning when I went down to the field to play for them, and I never played for a team that lost. Amen. <laughs> because I just believe we're going to win. And you say, how? I don't know. I just believe we're going to win. I, I remember one time I was, we, we needed to score, and, and I was getting pretty intense. And uh, they, actually, we need to keep a team from scoring. And I was playing middle linebacker. And I told the fellas, I said, they're not getting in. They're on about the half-yard line. And Chris Teff, a buddy of mine, he came up quarterback the other team. And I walked up to him. And I walked up to that middle linebacker. And he was right there. And he was about to do a quarterback sneak. I didn't know that, but he knew that. And I looked at him, and I just said, ain't no way you're getting in here. He looked straight at me, and he said, audible, audible. <laughs> And if you don't know, that means that means we're changing the play right now. And he looked back at the fullback and he said, you're getting the ball this time, man. And I said, why'd you do that? He said, I knew you were coming through the middle and I didn't want any part of it. <laughs> and so the fact is, is that there's some people that have a winner's attitude, but there's other guys, you could be up two touchdowns with, with a minute left to go in the game and they're scared to death. We're going to mess up and lose. Now, there's different mentalities of people. And can I tell you, they're still in Christianity also. There's some sitting right here. And I'm not, look, I'm telling you, I already told you, I was one of them that just think somehow it don't apply to me. Somehow I can't get that peace. Somehow I'm just not at peace that I'm going to heaven. 
What do we do? We first, first must realize that assurance of salvation is not dependent on us. It's dependent on God and his promise. That was the first step I took to having assurance is this thing's not dependent on me. I can't say Jesus saved me any better than I said it. I can't go do it again for the 27th time and this time be better than I did the first time. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11 through 13 says, This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. That's pretty definitive, isn't it? He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's real simple. You either do or you don't. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that ye have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. John 10, verses 28 through 31 says, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Do you hear what he said? It's not up to me to hold on to him. He's got me. And Jesus said, I'm here in my hand. And watch this. And he said, if that's not good enough for you, you're in the Father's hand. And he said, watch this. I and the Father are one. So it's all the same hand. That's pretty good stuff. I don't hold on to him. He's holding on to me. Titus 1, 2, and 3, and, and this is the life-changing verse for me when, when I finally saw it in 1982. And you say, man, it took you seven years to see this. Well, I, don't, I, I can't explain it. I'm just telling you, I wasn't in church for, for the first three to four years. And then, and then when I got in church, I, I really just I didn't know. I, I didn't, didn't know what to read or where to read or anything else or anybody really to teach me. And, and, and part of the reason, that's why I'm taking a service this morning to do what I'm doing because there's some things that I just didn't learn. When I got in church, and but Titus 1, 2, and 3, and, and listen, I'm going to just say this too. I'm going to uh, afterwards talk to some of you, but, but the fact is that's why we're having the foundations class. I beg you, get involved in that because I didn't have that. It would have been life-changing to me. It saved me so much grief and so many nights of torment and turmoil if I just had some foundational truths really implanted in me. But in, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie. Listen to that. God who cannot lie. Have you ever met somebody who lied? Come on now. This one you can raise your hand for. Have you ever met somebody who lied? Okay. Have you ever been somebody who lied? <laughs> yeah, I'm just, just get you to raise your hand. You say, I don't know what that fellow's saying. Just raise my hand. Do you owe me money? Now, the fact is, is that here's, here's part of the reason we struggle with God. It's because everybody else we've ever dealt with lied to us. We've been lied to a whole lot. Now, I did come from a different generation and a different place. We grew up out in the country. And I'll be honest with you, maybe I'm just stupid, but no, no comment. <laughs> but, but I grew up, and I really never knew that anybody would lie to you until I got to high school. I really didn't. I didn't know people lied to you. I mean, why would you lie? Out in the country, everybody knows everybody's business. You can't get away with a lie anyway. 
If you lied to somebody, they'd know it three minutes later. And I got to high school, and I found out, you know, at Germantown High School, 1,200 kids there. I found out they lied to you on one end of the hallway. You know what I mean? It's amazing. It just, I was in shock. But from that point on in my life, I found out, man, the world just full of people that lie to you. And, that, and somehow we equate God like that. And can I tell you, it was shocking to me when somebody finally showed me this verse. It's like everything suddenly started registering my brain. Look at what it says. It says, in hope of eternal life. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like I'm, I'm reading this and thinking, okay, that's me. In hope of eternal life. But it says, which God that cannot lie. Amen. Folks, mark this in your Bible. Titus 1, 2. And God who cannot lie. Watch this. God can't lie. Amen. Anybody happy about that? Amen. I guess it don't do the same thing for you that it does for me. God can't lie. And it says, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Almighty God made me a promise, made you a promise before he ever even created anything. But hath in due times manifested his word through preaching, which is committed unto me according to the commandment of, of God our Savior. Why can God not lie? That was the first thing that registered in my brain. I want you to go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 6. Why can't God lie? John chapter 14, verse 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth. Look at that. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. God cannot lie because God is truth. Lying is the antithesis of truth. God, if God is truth, he cannot lie. He can't be truth and lie. God is truth. He is all truth. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is truth in body. This truth is the promise. Next truth that God gives me about this. First, God is truth. He can't lie because he is the truth. Ephesians now. Go to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 12 through 14. Doing a little bit more of a Sunday morning Bible study, but in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 12 through 14, says this, it says, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard, look at this, the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now, Jesus is truth, God is truth, and the gospel of our salvation is truth, in whom also uh, after, uh, after that ye believed, listen to this, ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Watch it, let's go back. When, when, whose hand? Christ's hand. And we're in the Father's hand. Amen? And then it, watch this, then it says we're sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. Holy Spirit comes in and saran wraps this whole thing. Wraps it all up so tight, it's airtight. 
He seals it. What does a seal mean? A device or substance or someone who joins together two things uh, together as to prevent them from coming apart. It says the Holy Spirit comes to seal us together, two things together. What's he do? He seals me with God. And I can't come apart from him. And watch, in the, in the definition says, and to prevent anything from passing between them. Nothing can separate us. Notice, nothing can change your eternal life once you receive Christ. Even sin cannot change your eternal destiny. But also, this is not a license to live ungodly, for sin will change the quality of the life you now have and will change your eternal rewards in heaven. But sin is the, is the thing that enters in. It does not come between. It cannot separate us from God. It cannot separate our eternal life. But it separates us from a relationship which gives us that confidence that we're on our way to heaven. Sin causes doubt. Clearly, God is stating that since you are sealed with the Holy Spirit and in the Father's hand and in Jesus' hand, we should not live in a way to grieve the Holy Spirit who is there to make sure we're never, ever lost again. We should never grieve the Holy Spirit or cause Him distress or cause Him sadness. This is a great example of life for even here on this earth. There are those you love with a great love, but they are also the ones you sometimes grieve by your actions. You know what? We can grieve people we love by our actions, the way we treat each other, the way we talk to each other. And the Holy Spirit of God can be grieved by the way we act toward God. The Holy Spirit of God will lead you, teach you, guide you into a wonderful, joy-filled fulfilled life if we just listen to him and heed him. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 24 through 31 says that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You see, God says once we are saved, once we are on our way to heaven, once we are in the, Jesus' hand, in the Father's hand, and sealed by the Holy Spirit, once we understand that God who cannot lie has promised us eternal life, then we are to put on the new man. Folks, there ought to be a desire to live differently. He says, God has created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting, listen to what he says now, and this is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. Sometimes I move too fast, but it says in verse 25, wherefore, putting away lying. Remember, God who cannot lie, but people can he says, so we need to put away that lying. Speak every man truth with his neighbor. Since God is truth, he wants us to be truth. Amen, Amen somebody. Amen. Help me now. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. You know, that's what Brother Hopper was saying earlier about our church. You know what? We're members one with another. You know, this is a, I believe this is, in one of the reasons I, I was so excited, I believe God led us here because I believe this is a unique church. A unique church down here in this area that, that we love each other. And we're supposed to, we're supposed to be members one of another. And it says, be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. You know, when we, when we get that wrath and anger inside of us and we let it take control, we're giving place to the devil. And we'll talk about that one day. Let him that steal, steal, uh, let him that stole steal no more. 
but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may uh, have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. God said, look, don't do these things. And, and look, folks, right and wrong is still in the Bible. I know it's not preached much. I know you don't hear it on the TV preachers much, but I'm telling you, God's real clear. There's some things you ought not do. Stop lying to each other. Stop stealing from each other. Start hurting each other. Start, stop corrupt communication toward each other. Are y'all going to be able to deal with me? I'm a little bit different kind of preacher than maybe you've been watching. <laughs> I believe this book. I believe it's real. And I believe it's true. And I believe the, the problem with America is that we've stopped preaching what Jesus said. And what we've done is we've grieved the Holy Spirit of God, and it began behind this pulpit. We, it, it began with preachers who started grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And when we grieve the Holy Spirit of God, we stop preaching to our people not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He says in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. He said, get rid of that. Look, I can't stop and you can't stop the way some people are going to talk to you out on the street, out at the store, wherever you go shop, wherever you get your gas. You can't stop the way some people are going to talk to you. You can't stop the way some people are going to treat you when you're driving down the road and they holler out their window at you. You can't stop that. Am I the only one it ever happened to? <laughs> but you can stop the way you react to it. And, I, and I, listen, I'm here to testify. I'm trying to get you to understand. I'm one of you, all right? I was in my old Volkswagen. I was young. My little daughter, Ashley, my second daughter, she's the one that her husband just had the heart attack. Little Ashley was on probably... Oh, I don't know. She's about five, six years old. She's sitting beside me in a little Volkswagen that we had. You know those things, the original old Volkswagen bug, you know, that had no heat except in the summer? <laughs> and if you didn't put tape over that little hole beside your ankle, it would burn your ankle up. And I'm driving down the road in my little Volkswagen, and some teenager whipped up in front of me and I mean I'm at a I'm at a stop sign and he whips up in front of me and he just starts screaming at me and cussing at me and my little girl's hearing that and then he took off and I very patiently looked at my daughter and said honey that's not the way somebody should act no that's not what I did I was planning to turn this way, but he went that way, and something compelled me. <laughs> and I took off that way, and, and I put a police maneuver on him. I pulled out around him, and I cut sideways in, and I ran him into somebody's yard. And then I jumped out and ran to his door and said, Get out, boy! And he sat in his car, and he said, You don't have a right to talk to me that way. <laughs> 
I just, it's such a punk. You say, you did that, preacher? Yeah. <laughs> it was a long time ago in a land far, far away. And I've, I really don't do that anymore. I really don't. I, I hope I don't. Uh, but, you know, I couldn't control what that boy said to me and my daughter, but I could have controlled how I acted. Because verse 32 says, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now, we, we quote that verse, but it says in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be you kind one to another. He's saying in that heated situation, be kind, forgive. God expects more of us than just reacting by our emotions and living by our emotions. He expects us to live by principle, by truth. Adherence to this passage does not change our position in Christ, just like your attitude does not change you being here. You know, some of you right now, you may like being here. Some of you are thinking, I really want to look at my watch if nobody would notice. And you're hoping that this will end soon. But can I tell you, your attitude about being here doesn't change the fact that you're here. And if you try to get up and leave, I'll get back to the door. (laughs) No, it doesn't change the fact that you're here. But your attitude will change how much you enjoy being here. And it's the same way about our Christianity. You know, my my sin doesn't change the fact that I'm a Christian. It changes the fact of whether I'm Christ-like and whether I enjoy living in this earth. Because the truth is, when you control your spirit, your attitude, you have a better attitude. You feel better. You're glad. It's humorous when we talk about the fact that, you know, I reacted to somebody. But can I tell you, as a Christian, you always walk away feeling dirty. You always walk away regretting. You always think, why in the world did I do that? You know, you're on your way to church in the morning and somebody does something really stupid in front of you. And everything in you wants to yell. Everything in you wants to drive up beside them and tell them how stupid they are. You say, what keeps you from doing that? I think they may be coming to church this morning. (laughs) They may recognize me. (laughs) Finally, I know it's hard to believe, but there is a love that will not fail. In John chapter 15, verse 13, says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. 
You understand what that really says? Jesus showed all of us the greatest love that any of us could ever understand or ever experience. When he laid down his life for all of us. And he did it so that we could live eternally and to know that we are on our way to heaven. John, 1 John 4, 4, verse 13 through 20 says, Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he hath given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Fear creates doubt. Doubt then increases fear, but perfect love, love that never fails, drives away all fear and doubt. What else creates doubt is failure to obey. Sin breeds doubt. So we must understand the love of God. We must understand that God will never lie. God loves us with a love beyond anything we can understand. That love will drive away the fear, drive away the doubt. What creates the doubt or brings doubt back is our failure to obey. Sin brings doubt. But sin is not just a sin of commission. What we do that is against God's will and God's law, but also a sin of omission, things that we should do but fail to do. And that's why I said that I'm almost done, but that we have a couple people who are getting baptized today. Why? Does it help them get saved? No, they're already saved. That's why they're being baptized. Amen. They already know they're on their way to heaven because God has promised this and God's word is true. They've already been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ. Why then, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20 and 21 says, which sometime were disobedient when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The like figure, Lozette, the like figure, whereunto even baptism does also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, what does that mean? You have to understand, it was the ark that saved them, not the water. Okay, the ark pictures Jesus Christ. And that's the like figure, does baptism also now save us? The same way the water saved them, they didn't. The ark did. It's not the water you get into, it's the cross that you believe in. And the baptism today as they were baptized, they're saying, I believed in the cross of Jesus Christ, the death of Christ, as they stand in that water. As they're bur- they laid back, it pictures the burial of Jesus Christ. As they're raised up, it pictures the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're saying, those that choose to be baptized today are saying, I have trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And watch this. I'm not ashamed of it. I want everybody to know it. You say, how important is it? Well, Romans 6, chapter verse uh, 3 and 4 says, Know ye not that it's so many as of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up. Remember this? 
that like as Christ has raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. God says when we're baptized, we, uh, when we are obedient and say, I trusted Jesus Christ for salvation, now I'm, re- I'm getting baptized to show what has happened to me. I'm being obedient to him. That step of obedience allows us to begin a new walk. You say, well, I didn't know anything about baptism and I got saved a long time ago. Can I tell you? It's as soon as you understand and know that this is something God said to do. Then it becomes an act of obedience and from that point on, you walk in newness of life. It's not that you're now saved. It's that act of obedience says, now I'm saying yes to God in my life. Matthew chapter 3, verse 15 through 17, Jesus answering said unto them, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open under him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, lying upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Well pleased, real faith that stimulates obedience is pleasing to God. Acts 2, 41 says, Then They that gladly receive the word, when you accept Christ, receive the word of God, receive the plan of salvation, receive the truth that God has given you, it says, and they were baptized. And the same day, there were added unto them 3,000 souls. We, when we truly receive and believe the promise of God for salvation, we we gladly want to let others know what we have done and, and that what we have done is real. Thus, it's obedience to God. Acts 10, 48 says, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So to disobey sows a seed of doubt in your heart and mind about the reality of your salvation. Disobedience breeds doubt. Obedience is immediate and complete. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in the house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all his straightway. It's the first step of obedience. And I'm going to stop there. But you say, Is this message about baptism? No, it's about assurance. But I know that when I looked to the Lord and I accepted him in that truth, it was such an important fact that when I finally came to the understanding of what had happened to me, that when I came to the reality that I needed to be baptized, it was not to be a church member. It was not to get to heaven. It was not to help me be brownie points with God. It was to say that I want everybody to know that I've trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And it was obedience. It was a step of obedience. And watch us. The more we obey, the more assured we are. Because doubt comes from disobedience. The more we disobey, the more we doubt who we really are. When my children obey me, it's amazing how they'll come running to daddy, they'll come jump in my arms, they would come do all of that, they'd ask daddy anything. When they were disobedient, I could walk in the door and try to find them. <laughs> Joe Beth, where's, uh, where's Brooke? Uh, well, I think she's back in her room. She normally meets me at the door. 
kind of like a dog, you know. You know when you walked in the house that they done messed up because they kind of sit down and It's amazing how they caused my little girl to doubt our relationship because she had done wrong. Now, as far as a daddy, you know this, nothing's changed. She's my daughter. I love her. And I'm going to whip the fire out of her. No, she's my daughter and I love her. That's not changed. What has changed is her own mind. I hope that might help you a little bit. But I want you to understand, if you really don't know for sure if you're going to heaven, you can't have assurance until you have the Savior. Without the Savior, there can be no assurance. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. A lot of people live in doubt and confusion because they really, truly have never trusted Christ and Him alone to take them to heaven. Father, I pray that you bless. Lord Jesus, thank you for your goodness, your love toward us.